This is great. It, uh, so much going on, and actually almost uh, easy to get caught up in it sometimes, for, for good or bad. I mean, just so, so many things to do, uh, so many people to visit, things going on, and uh, most of it leads to joyous, uh, good times. But it can be a little chaotic, and sometimes it doesn't always lead uh, to the most joyous of things. There's, you know, sometimes it leads to things like tension in families, and, but, but not in your homes, of course. Uh, certainly not this year. There'd be no tension this time of year. Uh, unless you're like the two-thirds of people who were recently surveyed who said that they, there was no way they were going to get through Christmas without at least one major argument in the house. And so I, so I was looking at this research. And I'm going to give you the top eight things that families argue about. I was a little surprised by this list. So, but this will hopefully help you avoid some of these things. The number one thing that families argue about at Christmas is who gets, the con- who gets to control the TV remote. Can you believe that? Number one. I, so I say, just give it up. Or shut the thing off for crying out loud. But that was number one. Number two is uh, who, who has to wash the dishes. Fair enough. Number three, cheating at board games. <laughs> As I look at my family. Okay. That can create fights. Uh, number four, what to eat for Christmas dinner. Kind of an important thing, creates tension. Uh, number five and six are similar. Five is how the tree should be decorated. And number six is how should the house be decorated. So this creates uh, controversy in some families, I guess. Number seven is who has to cook dinner. And number eight of the things people, uh, families argue about at Christmas is uh, just generally around bad Christmas presents inappropriate or thoughtless or that kind of a, just a bad present in general. So, um, oh, and in case you're wondering, the most likely time that you'll be fighting is 3.18 p.m. on Christmas Day. So, so here's, my, here's my advice. Just take a nap at 3, and then you'll have some chance of avoiding this. Uh, the, the, I don't know why 3.18, but that's, that seems to be it. So, uh, so, but Christmas can be a little chaotic, and it can lead to that stuff. Uh, the, the first Christmas, certainly chaotic, right? We've got uh, a pregnant woman, unexpectedly pregnant. We've got messages from angels that are both uh, wonderful and f- frightening and mysterious at the same time. We've got a family that's required by law to, to leave their town and go and register in a census. They have no place to stay. Mary is very, very pregnant. She ends up having to give birth in a, in a stable then shortly thereafter comes a warning that there is a king out to harm the child. So the family goes on the run and they have to leave to a foreign country. They have to go to Egypt to seek asylum. So they're, they have to hide. It's all just, it's very chaotic. In, in, in the midst of all those details of what happened that first Christmas, and in the midst of the chaos, good and bad, of our Christmas today, it's easy to lose sight of the big picture. And what I want to do tonight is just take a look at the big picture, what is going on at Christmas. We're not going to focus on the angels or the wise men or the shepherds or Mary, Joseph. We're going to just focus real big picture. And what is going on, we see right here in our text in verse 9. And it's printed on the back of your bulletin if you want to. I'm going to refer to it a few times. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Light 
is coming into darkness. That's the big picture of what's going on. And, and here it says that the, the word... The Word became flesh. That's how light comes into darkness. Word becomes flesh. So the Word is with God. The Word is God. And the Word becomes human, becomes human flesh. And this is Jesus. Jesus comes into the world, light coming into darkness, God taking on human flesh. And I want to look at the implications of this, or what does it mean for us that the Word became flesh? Three things. The first is this. The word became flesh means that we can know and understand God. Even calling Jesus word is, is, a, is a really good way to understand this. Word is expression. It is, uh, it is God speaking. So God is best known through Jesus. Of all the ways that God makes himself known, the best way that we can know and understand God is Jesus himself. And again, Jesus wasn't just bringing an idea, a teaching, a philosophy. He was bringing himself. God was coming into a dark world. Therefore, it was witnessable. It was, it was tangible. One of his disciples wrote it like this. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word, Jesus, the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and we testify to it. So because Jesus has come, we can actually know God. You can't really know someone until you experience them, until you actually talk and have conversation. I, it, I, I like people watching. I don't know if you ever people watch. This is a great time of year to people watch. Out in stores, you see people, you see panicky shoppers, you see people who look lost or confused. I, I like to people watch as I'm walking back and forth from my home to, to the office, and I see some of the same people throughout the week, and I, I wonder about them. You know, what do they do for work? And, and, and why, you know, it, you know, why would you have a dog like that? Why, you just, just things that I notice about them. But I would never claim that I know these people. Some of them I've, I've met, but many of them, most of them I don't know. It, God has done that for us. He, we don't have to speculate about, you know, what is God like? How would we understand God? I mean, some people, and actually most people, just will stop at speculating about God. They'll, they might speculate in spiritual ways, you know, thoughts about God. Hmm, I wonder what God is like, and it just, what would I like God to be like, and he must be like this or that. But as, as helpful as that is for some people, it's not grounded in anything firm or true. It's, it's just very speculative. Other people look to science to, to answer the question, you know, how do I understand the world around me and the God who created it? And, and science is very useful, it's very concrete in many ways. But it, it doesn't answer the questions about what is the greater purpose of this world? What's the meaning of it all? But we don't need to rely on just spirituality or science. We have Jesus himself has come. When I was a kid, I just, one of the things I wanted every year when I was a little kid, Legos. Any of you hoping to get Legos this year for Christmas? Yeah, I hope you get them. I really do. Legos are so much fun. You could picture an adult walking into a room and seeing a Lego creation that's been carefully made. 
And you can look at it and you can try to guess what it is and kind of see, okay, it looks kind of like a boat and there's mini figures, they seem to be doing something on this boat. And you can make all the guesses you want until the child, the creator, tells you it's a spaceship. And here's the, here's the turbo boosters and here's the laser shooters and this is how it works and these are the wings and how it flies. Then it fully makes sense. That's what God has done for us in Jesus. The creator of the world has come into the world to, just, to teach and to show and to demonstrate what it's all about, to make sense of it. But not, a chi- not in a childish way. This is the God of the universe. All-knowing, all-wise, all-loving God has come to show us. And what he's shown us is that light is coming to shine in the midst of darkness. And we need to know this. We need to understand this. Because our world is a very dark place. We see it all around us. Just the last couple months, just watching the news, we've got, last two months, we've got Paris terrorist attacks. We've got the the shooting in in California. We've got an ongoing refugee crisis, now up to estimates of a million people displaced by war and terrorism with very little, many children traveling with next to nothing. It just just trying to find refuge. How do we make sense of this darkness and the the hurt that we see in the world? And Jesus gives us that. He said, look, I'm I'm ushering a new kingdom. I know this world is sinful and broken, and I know that there is death and dying, but I've come to bring life and light into that. And it's going to be known in all its fullness someday. And you have to be patient and wait, but it's it's coming. And And we know that it's coming because he came. And because he demonstrated that he has the power to overcome evil, overcome sickness, even overcome death by his resurrection, we know it is true. And it was witnessed to, and it was, and it was told in the generations, and we cling to this hope. We don't always understand his timing, but we do understand his power. He's shown it to us. So we can make sense of the crazy world we live in. So that's the first thing. The word made flesh means that we can know and understand God. We can know and understand a dark world because he came to us. But the second thing is this. Because the word became flesh, because Jesus takes on human flesh, that means that God truly understands us. Not only that we understand him, but Jesus understands the human condition. I mentioned a refugee crisis. Jesus was a refugee. Held in the arms of his parents, escaping to a foreign country, seeking asylum from from the terror and the evil that was up against him. Jesus understands that. The word was made flesh. Jesus was made soft. He was made human. He was made vulnerable. He was made killable. The God of the universe has become Vulnerable, and he knew that it would cost him his life. Jesus chose to enter into it. He chose to be born, but he also chose to die. Jesus said, I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. He had to buy, he had to buy us back. Because the darkness is not just out there, but it's in each and every one of us. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of God's perfection. God is pure light. But we all have, even good people have darkness and sin that needs to be dealt with. And Jesus came to live this life of, of light and goodness. And on the cross, he gets our death that we deserve. He gets the darkness that we have. He takes it on himself. 
and his light is extinguished, he dies on the cross. He pays for it. Jesus, whatever darkness, whatever brokenness you face, Jesus becomes the victim, the greatest victim of all of the brokenness of the world. He willingly does that. But not even the darkness can hold him down. As it says in verse 5 in our text, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That the darkness cannot overcome the light and even in death, he, by the power of God, Jesus rises again, destroying death and ushering in this new kingdom. Therefore, he understands us. He's experienced betrayal, brokenness, loneliness, facing death. Jesus is experience that. Even if you've come here tonight and you've perhaps have experienced or are experiencing some of those things in your life, you may come here thinking, you know what? God has abandoned me in my moment of need. Do you know even Jesus understands that? Jesus, as he hung on the cross, cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That Jesus knows even what it feels like to be turned down by God. Christmas means when it feels like God is not listening that Jesus understands and we can therefore go to him in the midst of our struggle and brokenness and we can turn to him for comfort, for real comfort. Which leads me to our third point. Because we can, you know, the word becomes flesh, we can understand God and God understands us and therefore the word become flesh means that we can be in a relationship with the God of the universe. Relationship is possible, as it says here in verse 12. To all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Relationships are therefore key to Christmas. That Christ came so that we can be in a relationship with God, that we can be his children. And our relationships are amplified at Christmas, and that's why I mention things like family tensions, because we, because we share life together. Relationships are, are real and important, and God shared his life with us and our relationship with him, and, and now our relationship with one another becomes crucial. Many of you have received that, have experienced that, have understood that. And praise God this Christmas, and I pray that your celebration just be sweet. That you just treasure the fact that you are God's child and, and treasure all the relationships that, that God has given you. The advice I'd give is, and it may be too late for this year, but if you ever wanted to just give your children the best Christmas ever, spend half the money and spend twice the time. Spend half the money, spend twice the time. Relationships. Primarily relationship with God and our relationship with others. But we need to receive it. Here in verse 12, we need to receive and believe and perhaps you've never received it. Maybe you've heard about Jesus. Maybe you've uh, been coming to church. Maybe you, you celebrate Christmas regularly. But have you ever received it? We need to receive, receive it and believe it. It's very simple. You just pray, God, Jesus, light of the world, bring your light into my darkness. Admit your sin, admit your brokenness, and let his light shine into it. Let him come alive in you, and by his spirit, he does that. You could receive it even tonight. Many people don't receive. Uh, right from the very beginning, and right through, even in our text today, look at verse 11. 
says Jesus, he came to, to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Why? Why wouldn't we receive this great gift of, of new life and light in, into our darkness? I hear people describe it in different ways. Some people would say, well, you know, I, I don't really need this. I don't need the religion thing. I don't need God. I, I'm happy the way I am. To that person, I would say, the greatest need of the human heart is not happiness. It's forgiveness. Because the darkness, again, is not just out there. It's not just in the news. It's in here. And we need God's light or else he will always be distant and mysterious and cold. The Bible describes it as death, eternal spiritual death. You need that forgiveness. Other people say, well, I'm just not good enough to be part of this thing. Maybe someday I'll change and, and be more faithful and God will love and accept me. To that person, I would say, that is not how this works. You're right in that God does desire to see change in you, but you can never change enough and be good enough for God to accept you. That's not how it works. God loves and accepts you now. We receive that love and we believe in it. And that love and that grace empowers us to change. That God brings about the change. It, but it's a gift from him. You'll never be good enough. Other people say, well, I'm just not sure. I'll just I'll figure it out later. I'll, I'll get to it. I, I sort of believe I'm, I'm okay with what you're saying, Pastor, but I'll get there. Yeah, that's a pretty common response. Um, all I can say tonight is if you have any sense of God just tugging on your heart this Christmas, just receive it. Put your faith, your trust in him. Don't fight it. You don't know. You don't know if you'll have another opportunity to receive. Jesus took the biggest step on that first Christmas. He came to us. The light, the, the creator God himself enters into our world. He drew near to us. We can draw near to him. He's right there. Let us draw near to him. I want to conclude. I want to just give you some space, some time to just think about what we've said here. Perhaps what God might be speaking to your heart. Uh, we're going to hear a song. It's a very ancient song. It's called Of the Father's Love Begotten. It's a Christmas song. But it was written, it was a Latin hymn written in the 5th century. And then some 500 years later it was set to music. And then another 800 years it was, uh, it was translated into English. And then about a... A few years ago, my friend Buddy Fanjoy has uh, set it to contemporary arrangement and tune. But the reason we can, and just, you're going to hear the song, and just, you can just kind of tune out and just tune in to, to God and pray to Him. Thank Him for what He's done for us, and just, or maybe receive it for the first time. But the reason we can sing these ancient words and that they are still real is because it's the same Jesus. It was the same entering into the world. It, it, it was true then and it's true now and it changed lives then and it's changing lives now. And it's for all of us. So sit in silence now and, and as this song is sung and pray to God to receive his light. Amen.